Okay, so we have our speaker. And Rachel's not here today, so I'm going to do the introdu introduction for Brittany Hooper. Brittany is a lover of Jesus, wife of nine years to Jack, mother to three boys, twin five-year-olds Porter and Peyton, and two-year-old Hayden. Hayden. She is also on staff at Highland Park Presbyterian Church doing marriage ministry and leading the Connections team on Sunday mornings. Brittany grew up in Houston, graduated from Texas A&M, went to law school and practiced criminal law for a few years before becoming a stay-at-home mama. She now specializes in toddler dispute resolution. <laughs> Brittany is passionate about all things justice and hopes to one day practice law again. In the meantime, she is loving raising three little men who will one day fight for Jesus and his kingdom, although sometimes it seems like they just want to fight one another. Brittany loves to sleep, rest, take naps, and sleep some more, and looks forward to doing so in 20 years when the humans she owns are out of her house. Until then, she is pas passionate about Jesus, continuing to change her from the inside out, and loves sharing with you. So, please welcome Brittany. Thank you so much. I loved that meme that you posted. I saw another one on Facebook, and it was like, someone asked me what my hobbies were, and I said, well, I'm a mom. I like to pee in private. And I was like, yes, that is my hobby. I like privacy in the bathroom. Still don't have any, but yes, that would be awesome. Um, thank you guys so much for having me today. I'm going to scoot forward. I felt like last week I was really far from everybody, and that was weird. Um, yeah, I just, I'm so honored to be here. Quite honestly, I feel pretty intimidated. I said last week, and I'll say it again, there's a couple women on staff with me at our church who speak to this MOPS group a lot. They are fantastic, amazing, accomplished uh, women, wives, mothers. Um, the two I'm thinking of are Janie Bell and Dr. Nell Bush. Y'all, they are out of my league 110%. They have, four, both of them have four kids who are either in or out of college, well-accomplished, responsible, mature children for their resume of like motherhood. I do not have that. Um, there's another picture I have. It's a little bit more recent, I think, of my family. These are my big boys, Porter and Peyton. They're five. And then Hayden is two. And, you know, we, we have, I have not arrived as a mother, as a parent. Um, Jack and I are still just trying to make it through the day alive. At the end of the day, if we sit down on the couch at 930 and we're like, okay, no one killed each other today. Like, that's our standard. And so just know that um, this is where I am. I'm in the trenches with you. I just want my kids to sleep through the night, and that would be fantastic. Um, and I will also say parenting is the hardest job I have ever ever had. Uh, when I first um, passed the bar in Houston, I was working in child abuse in Harris County, and then I worked on this, the fugitive docket. So I worked with fugitives that were arrested or picked up in Houston. And then after that, I did a little bit of private practice, and I did parole work. So I used to go around to maximum security prisons all over the state of Texas and meet with my clients, most of whom were men. I had a few female clients. And I will tell you, for me, parenting is harder than dealing with felons. It was really um, a shock to me that these little humans, um, sometimes I felt like my clients were better listeners than even my, well, obviously, than my five-year-olds were. Um, so all that to say, uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm honored to be here take everything I say with a grain of salt, and um, hopefully it will just be the Holy Spirit speaking through me and not any pretend wisdom of mine. 
Um, so really and truly, passing down a legacy of faith, what we're talking about today, is something I am so passionate about. There's a story that's not my own. It's actually Janie Bell's story that I wanted to retell. And Janie talks about how when they were first married, they have four kids, but at the time they only had two kids. And her husband, Ben, lost his job. And Janie tells a story about how one night she was just praying, you know, fervently, God, your word says, and I'm going to read the verse because I'll botch it if I don't, and Psalms 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And Janie was just praying over that verse like, God, I feel like my life hopefully has been honoring to you. I feel like I have been delighting in, in you, God, and I am asking you to meet this deepest desire of my heart. Lord, we need Ben to get a job. And she really felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, Janie, go deeper. What is the deepest desire of your heart? And so she was like, okay, well, um, peeling back that onion, I, I, I think it's, Lord, for me to be able to create a safe home, security for my kids. I really want my kids to feel safe and secure. Again, Janie, it felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, Janie, go deeper. What is the deepest desire of your heart? And so she kind of went through this um, series of like personal questioning. Okay, God, I, I think it's for the safety of my kids that they, they would feel um, safe and secure in our home. We could provide a roof over their heads, blah, 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 blah. And eventually she got down to the point where she was like, you know what, God? Forget that. The deepest desire of my heart is that Ben and I would love Jesus and that our children, children would grow up one day to be passionate about Jesus. And safety and security and Ben getting a job and a roof over their heads, they're all great things, got good things. But really the deepest desire of her heart was that her kids would love Jesus. And if God used the, the loss of a job to bring her and Ben closer to the Lord or even her children to see God drawing um, them closer to him, then it was worth it to Janie. And that story just resonated so much with me because I totally agree. That that really is the deepest desire of my heart, that these crazy little men that I'm trying to raise, that they would just love Jesus, that they would be passionate about Jesus. So really, that's what we're going to talk about today. What does that look like, um, passing down this legacy of faith? So of course, like every good attorney, I went and I tried to figure out, okay, this definition, what's this very clear definition of legacy and then this definition of faith? So when I looked up legacy, went to the ultimate source of authority, Google, and I found um, this definition. It's really legally, but it says, a legacy is a gift by will, especially in money or other personal property. It's something that happened in the past or that comes from someone in the past. I'll read it again. A legacy is a gift by will, especially in money or other personal property. It's something that happened in the past or that comes from someone in the past. And then I went and looked up the word faith, and this time I actually went to the Bible, which is good for you to do. Um, found in Hebrews 11.1, 1, y'all have heard this verse before, but now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we know as Christians, if we've accepted the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and change us, that we believe in the one true God who knows all things, who is omniscient, omnipotent, he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and that he, um, he, nothing happens outside of his will, that he controls our lives. But we also know that um, 
we can have that personal relationship with this living God. So putting all three of these terms together of legacy, faith, this legacy of faith, this is what we're talking about today. It's a gift or inheritance of faith that we pass down to our children in hopes that one day they would personally experience the surety and hope in Christ Jesus. And I want to put some emphasis on that personally experience. I have a friend in Philadelphia, and she's, she's funny, y'all. She's like, we were talking about faith, and she's not a believer. And she was like, well, you know, my dad's Jewish, and my mom's Catholic. And, you know, faith is passed down through the mom. So I'm probably more Catholic than Jewish. And I was like, interesting. I don't really think it works that way. It really is um, a choice that your children choose one day to come under the authority of God. We're going to talk about that later. But until then, we have this opportunity. I was talking to Jenna about just passing this baton to them, passing this legacy of faith to them while they are still under the authority of us as their parents. Um, So I really wanted to ask this question to you guys. Can you all think of a greater gift a greater um, legacy to pass down to your children. Jack and I have recently experienced quite a bit of death in our family, from close, close friends to um, uh, grandparents. And we've talked a lot about, okay, our will, our, you know, do we need a living trust for our kids? Like, who's the house going to go to? Is there a guardianship set up if our, our, we pass away before our kids turn 18? Blah, 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 all of these things. And really and truly, those are important things to talk through, but even more so than providing an Ivy League education or figuring out um, yeah, what, what, we're, what, we're, what and how we're going to pass things down to our kids, this legacy of faith is even more important than all of that. So kind of we get down to this big question, how do we give this gift? And that's really what we're going to talk about today. How do we pass down this legacy of faith? This joy, this peace, this surety and hope that comes from a deep relationship with God. And there are a few intentional ways that Jack and I are trying to do this with our boys. I would say um, the few things that I'm going to talk about are probably a little bit more like 10,000 foot view. We'll talk about the nitty gritty, like day to day, what we're doing. But I'm going to, the first few, especially the first one, is going to be a little bit um, higher up. And you'll kind of get what I mean as we get there. So the first one I wrote down is living an authentic life. And specifically, living with an authentic faith. And in my opinion, um, in my 35-year-old mother of five and two-year-old's opinion, the best way to not pass down a legacy of faith for your children to not take on your faith or their own faith at one point is to live an inauthentic life, specifically one without an authentic faith. If Jesus is not the lens through which we view all things, our culture, our marriage, our parenting, our finances, our friendships, our family, if Jesus is not the lens through which we view everything, what is that telling our kids? Because I don't think it's telling them I hate God. I, I, in fact, I don't, I don't think that's telling, telling them that. I think that it's something even more um, subtle and potentially dangerous, that God doesn't really matter to us. That, yes, we go to church on Sundays, and you guys, our kids are looking fantastic in their smocked outfits, but as soon as we get into the car and everything we heard goes right out the window, what is that telling our kids? 
I don't think it's saying we hate God in our family, but I think it might tell them you don't really need God. You don't need God for your day-to-day, your in-and-out. I think that's pretty dangerous. The best illustration I can give is just one of my own childhood. I grew up in a family. My parents are both Christians. Um, my parents are both marriage and family therapists. So you can, you can probably guess that we did a lot of conversation about emotions and feelings in our house. Um, but one thing that I'll say is in my home, Christianity was never a way you were supposed to act. Christianity was never um, um, a facade you were supposed to put on or wear and act a certain way. In fact, in our family, we made lots and lots of mistakes. And you can believe there was lots and lots of apologizing and reconciling. Specifically with my dad, my dad loves the Lord, but he was a um, big yeller. He had a significant anger issue. And now as an adult, I understand family of origin, why my dad would lash out and yell. I'm the one of three girls. I'm the middle, so me and my sisters. And then he would yell at my mom in front of us. But you know what he would always do after he would have this explosive moment? He would come back to us, and not in his own humanity or self-will, but more so as just a deep dependence on God, he would, you know, get down to our level. And I remember this as like a three or four-year-old little girl. And he would get down to our level and he would just say, Brittany, I'm so sorry I yelled at you. I am not allowed to lose my temper that way. I'm really frustrated that you were coloring on the wall or whatever it may be, but I'm not allowed to yell at you or I'm not allowed to yell at your mommy. My job is to respect her and love her and take care of her. Will you please forgive me? And so as a three- and four-year-old, I saw that my daddy made lots of mistakes, but he always reconciled the relationship. So Jack and I are really trying to do that now, that our boys will see us make lots of mistakes as parents, and they will see us actually work through conflict, hopefully in an appropriate way. But they will watch us hash out an argument and then reconcile in front of them. And I'm not saying you need to yell in front of your kids and hopefully fight fair. That's another topic. Um, But... Teach them what it looks like to reconcile and show them that mommy and daddy make lots of mistakes. We are broken people. We are sinners. And because of Jesus in our lives, we're just depending on him to change us. And it's a day-to-day process, and we're learning how to do that. Another point, and I didn't say this in last week, but I want to say it, say it here, is just an authentic, authenticity um, as a mommy and as women. I think in Dallas, we live in this very put together, I don't think it's just Dallas, but very put together idea of um, perfection. You know, we have, we have Twitter accounts, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have all of social media, we have um, our house, the clothes that we wear, what our hair looks like, what jewelry we wear, everything. We are um, trying to portray an image. And what happens when that image comes crumbling down? And the problem with trying to do all of these things and building up this image is that we were never supposed to be the one who created our own image. Our image comes as sons and daughters of God. That is our image. He is our foundation. He is the one who shapes us to become men and women who glorify God. And when we are trying to build up this image in whatever way we try and do, our kids are watching. Our kids are watching when, um, (laughs) I have a good friend at work, her name's Teresa. She went on this mother-daughter trip to Pine Cove. 
and they separated moms and daughters and asked the girls, the young girls, what's one thing if you knew there was no, you know, pushback from your mom, you would say to your mom, and they got crazy answers like, I wish my mom would stop making me eat just salad, or I wish my mom would stop using so much Botox. And these are these teenage girls, like, our kids are watching. Our kids are watching how we are desperately trying to give this image to the world. What if we are portraying this image to our kids that, baby, I am broken. Mommy is a broken sinner who's just trying to love Jesus and love others. And mommy's going to make so many mistakes, and that's okay. I'm going to try and learn from those mistakes. I hope we are empowering our kids that their identity is first and foremost found in Jesus. Um, My last point on on living an authentic life. My sister-in-law, her name's Kate. She's married to um, my brother-in-law, Luke. They have three kids. Their middle daughter, Audrey, is in heaven. She was born with a genetic disorder called trisomy 13, and she lived about nine hours. So Kate is in the process of, you know, grieving and coming to this place in motherhood where she's like, what does an authentic day look like for me? Her daughter goes to the day school at our church, and um, she went to this mommy-daughter luncheon. And Kate said she showed up, and she was in her workout clothes, y'all, and she, like, had no makeup on. And she said she felt like the rest of the women showed up, and everyone had gone to dry bar before. And she was like, oh, yet another, another opportunity where I just don't even measure up. And Kate's in this awkward spot where a very well-meaning question like, okay, so how many kids do you have? Is Hallie Kate your first? And she's like, oh, I'm so awkward. Yeah, my name is Kate. It's so nice to meet you. Yes, I have three kids. My middle daughter died. Um, and this is my, my son, Walker. And yeah, we're just trying to make it through the day. I'm so nice to meet you. But she's like, this is who I am. I'm living an authentic life, and I'm going to honor my dead baby because she mattered to us, and she changed our lives. So th- it, is, it is what it is. She's being authentic. She's, she's not hiding the fact that she's deep in grief. She can barely wake up sometimes. And that's where God has her, and that's okay. What if we showed our kids that authenticity? I think it would change their lives, and I think it would set them up on this trajectory of, yeah, just loving God to create us and into the humans he wants us to be. That was a long one. The other ones won't be that long. Um, Number two, find your family motto or legacy and verbalize this to your children. Last summer, Jack and I went to Pine Cove Camp. I'm like a walking commercial for camp. Don't go to Disney World. Go to camp. It's awesome. Um, And one of the things when they separated guys and girls, uh, the camp director told my husband, Jack, he was like, find your family motto. You know, that thing that your mom told you all the time and when I was growing up, when I was a little girl, it was when we were going out on a date or something, remember who you are and use wisdom. And I'm like, yes, mother. And now, of course, I will say that to my children when they're in high school. What is the one thing your kids are going to remember that you said all the time? Um, the camp director told Jack, he said, our family motto is we're going to do damage for the kingdom. And I love that because right now my children do damage on my house and wreak havoc on the backyard and pull the dog's tail and all sorts of damage. I would love for them to just do damage for the kingdom. That would be fantastic. Uh, Another thing that we say to our kids a whole, whole lot 
at night before they go to bed, the things that we're working on from a character building standpoint are the things I try and instill in them right before they go to sleep. So here's an example. So Porter and Peyton are in the same room. They're in bunk beds. So we'll climb up to the top bunk with whoever won that night and sleeps on the top bunk and look at Peyton's eyes and say, Peyton, buddy, did you know that God made you strong? He made you brave. He made you smart. He made you kind. And he made you honest. Go figure. These are the things that we're working on in our house. Strong. Buddy, God made you big mus- with big muscles. You can climb to the top of that tree. You are strong and you are brave. You can do it by yourself. I'll be right here watching you, but buddy, God made you strong. You can do this. Or kind. Lord knows we are working on kindness in our house. God made you to be kind, to have a big boy with kindness in your heart. And then smart. We're struggling with those sight words. Kindergarten, man, I'll tell you what. God made you. You are smart, bud. I know you can do this. We don't need perfection. I'm not asking you to be perfect, but we're going to try our hardest. You are smart, big boy. And then honest. Y'all, they tell funny lies. It's not funny. Lying is not funny, but they will tell funny lies. I'm like, no, no, bud. God made you to be honest. So these are the truths I'm trying to instill in my boys at night before they go to bed. And this has kind of become our our family motto, our legacy, our instilling these truths. So they may be different for you, especially at different seasons of development with your kiddos. Um, but what is it that your kids are going to remember that you said over and over and over again? That was number two. Number three, truly learn to communicate unconditional love to your children. This is a big one. Um, a few years ago in Treasure Keepers, Nell Bush's group at our church, um, we read this book together called How to Really Love Your Child. It's by Dr. Russ Campbell. He co-authored the book, The Five Love Languages. And this book is really similar but to Five Love Languages, but it's tailored to kids specifically. And I'll talk about the five ways you can communicate love. You guys have probably heard these, but I'll say them again. So there's physical touch, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and then specific to this book is eye contact, the importance of eye contact with your kids. And that's one I want to talk about specifically. Um, I think all of us in this room would say, yes, there's nothing my child can do that would make me stop loving them. We all have unconditional love for our children, but sometimes the way we're communicating that is not as well received. The book talks a lot about um, these studies done on like teenagers struggling with you know, addiction and mental health and whatnot. And one of the key factors they saw is that they did not feel like they were unconditionally loved from their parents and that there was conditions based on their behavior and their performance as to whether or not their parents really loved them. When really that wasn't the case, these parents, when they you know, were asked, of course, you know, we don't care what or how they act. We love them unconditionally. But how their parents were communicating this love was really where that deficit was. And one we've taken specifically in our home is the use of eye contact. I heard one time <laughs> from the Duggars, Jenna, um, but the, uh, the way to a child's heart is through their eyes. And I always thought that was a, a discipline, you know, teaching and training. So when you're down there and you're looking, buddy, you need to look at me in your eyes. You are not allowed to punch your brother in the face. No, 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 look at my eyes. That was not kind, bud. No, no, look at my eyes. And you're, you're trying to get to their heart when you're teaching and training in that teachable moment. Another way to use that eye contact is when you're affirming them as well. 
I realized I was just, when I was training them, that's when I was using the eye contact. But really, when we're laying in bed at night and I'm trying to say, today when you told the truth, when I asked you about who took daddy's chainsaw off the, the really, really high shelf that I didn't think you could climb up on, um, you told mommy the truth. You used your honesty. And look at me in your eye. Look at your eyes. Look at my eyes. I am so proud of you. Thank you for using honesty today. Look at my eyes. Instill that truth in them and affirm them with that eye contact. And really, it's different for each child. And it will change as they grow and get older. Peyton, um, as opposed to Porter, Porter wants all the affirmation in the world. He's like an endless pit of affirmation. He needs it constantly, which is great because that's what my love language is. Whereas Peyton, he doesn't really want to talk. He doesn't want you to ask him about his day. He wants you to hold him and sit with him. He is a physical touch kid, and he wants you to sit and watch the movie sing for the 276th time and just hold him. That's his love language. That's how he receives that communication of unconditional love. So figure out what your kids need and tailor, tailor your love to what they need in specific seasons. And read that book because it says things way better than I just did. Um, Number four, teach and train your children. Goodness, this could be a talk in and of itself just because the Bible has so much wisdom and knowledge on teaching and training your kids. Um, The first, well, actually, I want to talk first about, I mentioned a little bit in the beginning the authority of, of us as parents and then the authority of God. And that personal relationship with Jesus comes when, not necessarily when they move out of your house, but right now our kids are under our authority as their parents, especially itty bitties. Eventually the goal is that they would move out from under our authority under God's authority. And they would do that with excitement and hope and freedom that mommy and daddy have set me up for success and we know that the way they love Jesus, I want to be loved by my heavenly father in that way. And that's when that personal relationship with the Lord comes into play. But we can't do that, guys, if we don't know truth. And the best way to know truth is obviously um, studying the word of God and praying and seeking the Holy Spirit. So the first verse I wrote down is Proverbs thirty-one twenty-six, And it says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teachings of kindness are on her heart. And if we are going to organically incorporate God's truth at an age-appropriate level, as we discipline and correct, we have to know the truth. And this is one thing I want to, I heard this from this summer at Pine Cove, and I wanted to say it again. My pursuit of God is going to directly affect how I impact my children. I'll say it again. My pursuit of God is going to directly affect how I impact my children as their mommy. I think that's huge, and that really hit home with me, that the way I'm pursuing my relationship with the Lord, it's going to affect my parenting. It's going to affect who I am as a a believer, as a wife, as a mommy, as a friend. And our kids, our kids can tell. They can see, and they are watching. Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. There are ways we can incorporate the truth of God in our everyday vernacular as we use teachable moments to teach and train our kids. Um, This is one technique that I have used. This is a bookmark. It's an honorable character bookmark. I tried to order these for y'all, but could not get them. So I just printed them out on that sheet. This is on our refrigerator all the time. And this has really helped me in those teaching and training moments with my kids. 
Instead of addressing the behavior, I try, try and nail it home to a character trait. So let's take the example of punching your brother in the face. So both of my kids run inside and, you know, Porter has punched me in the face or Peyton's punched me in the face or Hayden has punched them in the face because he's two and this is happening. And so instead of, buddy, tell mommy, what happened? Why did you choose to punch your brother in the face? Oh, well, he took this toy and blah, 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 and all of these excuses. Okay. Buddy, were you using self-control when you punched your brother? I know you were frustrated that he took that toy. We're using self-control. So instead of, don't hit him in the face, why would you do that? Bud, come on, think. You need to go take a sticker off your chart or whatever your consequence may be. Nail it home to that honorable character trait. And you don't have to memorize the verse, Romans 12, 10. Give preference to one another for honor or self-control. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If that comes up, great. And if you have memorized that verse, great. Nail it home in that moment. But use these honorable character traits of obedience, you chose to obey, not just you picked up all the toys, great, but you chose to obey mommy's instruction. That was awesome. Or serving, the way you served your brother, you chose to share that toy with him, whatever it may be. Really nail home that honorable character that you're trying to instill as opposed to just the behavior. Um, yeah, I think promoting peace is always a good thing. So if, you're, if you need help in that area, use the bookmark. Or put that sheet on your refrigerator. Number five, do not allow your home to become child-centered. This is one of those 10,000-foot ones that has really made a huge impact in my marriage. Um, my husband and I do a marriage ministry at our church called Reengage. You guys have probably heard about it. We went through the program, and then, now, then we led a group, and now we're leading the leaders. It has been powerful for our marriage. And part of our story is... When we were married, I guess about three and a half years, Jack got into graduate school in Philadelphia. And the night before we moved to Philly, I found out I was pregnant. We had both quit our jobs. We were moving away from family. We were moving into a 900-square-foot apartment in downtown Philly. This was not in the plan. And I remember, y'all, this is how irresponsible we were. We did not have health insurance. My student health insurance through Jack's graduate school had not kicked in. I couldn't even go to the doctor until a few weeks later when he had started school. And we found out about three or four weeks later that we were pregnant with twins. And I bawled my eyes out. And Jack, who doesn't ever cuss, was like, holy. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And you know, y'all, we were so ill-prepared. Like, no one really knows what they're getting into when they become a parent, but we really didn't know what we were getting into, especially with twins. And that first year and a half after the boys were born were really, really hard on us. And I will just say from a taking a responsibility standpoint, these two little humans that God really intended to be a blessing in our lives really became idols for me. Because I did not want to be a good mommy. I did not want to be a great mommy. I wanted to be a perfect mommy. And to say that Jack was no longer on the priority list or at the top of it, y'all, he wasn't even on the list. I was just trying to survive. And quite, quite frankly, I felt pretty entitled. I felt entitled to not serve him and love him and be available to him because I, my life was these two humans. And my world became very uh, child-centered, and I was going to say selfish, because it was really all about me. 
It was all about my performance as a mommy. It was all about my identity as a mommy. And my marriage really, really suffered. I remember at one point I went home to my parents' house. We were renovating. We had moved back to Dallas. We were renovating a house in Lake Highlands. And I was laying in a a bed in my sister's room in my parents' second story. And I remember this voice inside me. I'd taken the boys with me. Jack was still here in Dallas. And it was not a voice of peace, by the way. It was not a voice of um, one that I identified or felt comfort. But it was this voice that said, Brittany, you could get a divorce you and Jack wouldn't be fighting anymore. At least you wouldn't be failing at marriage. We were fighting so much, you guys. And I really was like, oh my gosh, this is how this happens. I knew that at that very moment, that was Satan speaking a lie into my life, that it would be easier just to get out of this marriage. My dad is really involved. My dad would step up. He would be, you know, a surrogate father for Porter and Peyton at the time. I mean, what is happening? So I remember I went home a few days later, and just Jack and I were in counseling, big counsel, big time counseling at the time, and I confessed to him that moment in front of our therapist because I was like, the, the girl who divorce is never an option, it actually was. And I had actually thought to myself, we, we, should, just, we should just separate at least. Y'all, I had made these kiddos an idol. And it wasn't just my fault, by the way. Jack definitely played a par- part as well and just... It took a lot of time and a lot of resources and, like I said, lots of counseling for us to build our marriage back up. And now I can say, oh, I'm so thankful for my marriage. I'm so thankful for my loving, wonderful servant of a husband who leads our family so well. But this is something we have to stay in check with a lot, is not making our home child-centered. Because the boys, they're not our God's. They are not our idols. When they go off to college or after they go to college, Jack and I are still going to be married, hopefully, if he's still alive and I'm still alive. And it's so easy to do it because right now we're just, we're in the trenches and they require so much attention. But it's something to remember and it's something to just say cognizant and aware of. There's one thing I wrote down and I want to make sure I read it so I don't mess it up. Um... Let's see. Basically, if you, if you tell your children that they are the center of your world, you're telling them that they're more important than your husband, if you're married, um, than your identity in Christ Jesus. However, if you set them up to live out their full God-given potential, if you show them we're providing a safe home where they can see that mommy and daddy love one another, that they're committed to God first, then to each other, your kids are going to feel empowered, safe, secure, confident that they can become the men and women God created them to be without strings attached. Yeah, I think that's it. Another thing I wanted to talk about and not making your home child-centered is the importance of self-care. It's really ironic. My mom last week spoke at a mops group for 45 minutes and talked just about self-care. This is like one point in my talk. This will be, it, it could be a lot longer. The importance of making sure you are providing self-care for yourself. That analogy on the plane when the oxygen mask comes down and they say, you put your mask on first and then put your child's mask on. If you are not receiving oxygen, things that are life-giving to your soul, how are you going to serve and love and take care of your kids? 
you've got to take care of yourself. You really, really do. And whatever that looks like for you, um, for me, it's kind of manifested in a very clear boundary time. We call it boundary time in our house for mommy. So we have a front room with this bay window, and I have my chair where I do my devotional or my quiet time or just read an adult book that's not Good Night Moon. And I will tell the boys if they come in there, I'll say, buddy, this is mommy's time. This is mommy's boundary time. I put on a show for you, or you can go play with your toys in your bedroom. You are not allowed to come in this room again. If you do, you receive a consequence. Do you understand? And it's, I think it's so good to tell our kids that that's all right. It's okay for mommy to have time. Um, you're showing them that they're allowed to be alone. You're showing them that they're allowed to have boundaries. And they're allowed to tell people no. As a people pleaser, I wish that I had learned this before 35 It is so important for our kids to see us creating healthy boundaries for ourselves. Buddy, we're getting a babysitter tonight because mommy and daddy need to go on a date because we haven't seen each other's faces in about a week and a half and actually talked. I'm getting a babysitter because I love your daddy. This is a boundary that we are creating in our home. Whatever it looks like for your marriage, your season with your kiddos, make sure you do it. I'm going to look at my time and make sure we're good. Yeah. Um, Number six, talk to your tribe. Talk to your people. Talk to your friends. Talk to the women in your life who you see are doing this well and ask them, how are you doing this? What does that look like in their marriage? I emailed some close girlfriends of mine and I asked, what did your parents do well in instilling a legacy of faith? What are you doing differently than your parents? And in general, what advice would you give? And I got some some great things. The first one is from my friend Elise, and she said, my parents did a great job consistently taking us to church, Awanas, Pine Cove Camp, and youth group. We ate dinner as a family and prayed together during that time for other people. We had a small group for almost 15 years. That's something unique but extremely incredible for me. I was in a Bible study with the same group of girls from 6th to 12th grade, and they're still my best friends today. Something they're doing differently is modeling, reading the word, praying out loud, and journaling together on how God is changing their lives. Her oldest is in kindergarten, like my boys. So they're doing this early with their kiddos. This is a good piece of advice. She said, um, "If you maybe some of you did these things growing up, church, Bible study, praying out loud, etc. And maybe you didn't. If you didn't, it's okay for some godly things and routines to feel a little forced or awkward. But do them anyway with your family. Because they won't feel awkward to your kids. They'll feel normal to them. Your children will most likely easily and regularly do these with their own children. The hard work is worth it to leave a legacy rooted in Christ. My friend Sarah wrote, One thing about going to church is we don't go to church to be entertained or catered to. We attend church to come together with others who believe in the one true God and his son Jesus to approach him with humility and praise him for who he is and what he has done. Both my parents also taught us to serve others in love. They were always looking for opportunities to serve others, anyone in need, from a word of encouragement, listening ear, financial assistance, a home, a vacation, a meal, a friend. Her parents were always serving, and Sarah was watching. And I will say, too, that's what her and her husband do. They are constantly serving others. My friend Catherine she's a hoot. Um, By the way, I should have said this at the beginning. My friends are on like the full spectrum of, I have one friend, Jen, who's the most organized person on the face of the planet. You would covet her pantry because everything is like perfectly labeled. She's very structured, very scheduled, and her parenting reflects that. 
My friend Beth Ann, who lives in Denver, is the most granola person I know. She's had three tub births. She is all into all things natural and holistic. They're the full spectrum, but y'all, they are both great, great parents. So it doesn't matter what style of parent you are, you can still do this really well. And it will look different in different, um, as, as, as different mommies. Um, my friend Catherine, oh, she's so funny. Um, she goes, you know my parents are weird, but they both have real relationships with Jesus. So they did so many things so really well. She said when her mom was struggling with X, I saw her pray about it and feel, feel the pull to do X, but felt convicted so she would choose to do Y. My mom loves reading the Bible, and we saw her read it every day and talk about what she read and learned. One thing she's trying to do differently from her parents is be aware of how different each child is. She has three children. Um, Trust that Jesus is working in their lives in his own way. For example, I thought this was so good. Her daughter, she has a very, very real relationship with Jesus. But she never had a precise moment where she asked Jesus into her heart. That language was so critical to her upbringing. She said, I always thought there had to be a precise conversion moment. But every time I ask her if she wants to accept Jesus and pray the prayer, she always says, Mommy, Jesus is already in my heart. He's the king of my life. (laughs) So I've tried to let that go and praise God that she has a relationship with him. And if she has a more concrete dedication of her life as a teenager or adult, then great. Her son is so funny. She said, I often um, will change the way I pray with him versus with my daughter. She'll say things like, dear Jesus, thank you that you've made this incredible world like an amazing playground or inviting us to join in your adventure. Thank you for planning out awesome things that you want our son to do. And thank you that you love him so, so much. Just that's kind of goes back to knowing your child and their um, style or understanding. Um, Number three, she says, one thing that I want to do differently is take the same approach to spirituality as I do with sex education. Have it be integral into daily life. So we don't have this dedicated spiritual time on Sunday or dedicated sex talk when they're 12. But when we're driving, I try to weave God into our conversations as I talk about him. Isn't it incredible that the leaves fall off and they grow back and God invented the whole system and he keeps it working Isn't that amazing? God created all of those things. Or she said, or kids, I feel really frustrated back there and feel like you're yelling, but I, uh, but I feel like yelling at you, but I didn't. So I'm going to thank Jesus for helping me be patient in this moment. That was awesome. And my friend, Jen, the pantry one said, my parents were very involved in serving at our church and always brought us along. We grew up sitting in high schoolers' laps while my parents taught their Bible studies or going on high school ministry retreats or mission trips. My parents also openly and on purpose in front of us modeled scripture memory and quiet time devotionals. They also were very, um, they were very much part of a small group of their families and kids and always attended with them. Even as a high schooler, we would just sit in a small group and fellowship with other families every week. They did an excellent job of modeling the behavior they wanted us to develop in both me and my sister, and I followed the path they set before us. Um, there's so many good ones I could keep reading, but just for the sake of time, um, yeah, just talk, talk to your friends in your life who are doing this really well and kind of see um, what, what is necessarily working for them may not necessarily work for you. Jack and I were on this kick of doing family devotionals because I think they're really important. Y'all, it was a total disaster. Oh, my gosh. No one is listening. Like, we're using the children's storybook Bible, and they're still, like, all over the place 
pinching each other. And I was like, this is just, this is not effective, and this is making my anxiety go through the roof. Um, so we've kind of backed off on the, from the family devotionals, but eventually we'll try and do them again. Do what works for you in this season of your life with your specific kid. Um, I have one friend whose child has sensory processing disorder, and the way they parent him is very differently from the other two kids. And the way they talk about Jesus and instill Jesus and um, um, talk about our relationship with God is different with him than the other two. Do what works for you and for your specific child. And then number seven, it's my last one, and it's, gosh, so important. Um, Pray for your people. Pray for your people. There are a zillion verses I could tell you, but I'm just going to say, Jack and I are, we didn't grow up in a tradition. In fact, I grew up in a Baptist church. I didn't grow up in a tradition that talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's not very much part of my, my theology that I believe. But I never um, understood, or maybe I'll just say even trusted, that the Holy Spirit is a tool and um, a weapon, can be used as a weapon for us to fight Satan. And here's what I mean by that. We, um, the Bible talks about that Satan comes to steal kill and destroy anything that brings God glory. That includes a marriage that's honoring God. And that includes a mommy who is raising men or women to fight for his kingdom. Satan wants to destroy that and kill that. And until he has, he will not stop. But God has not left us here just to fend for ourselves. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to fight that lie that we cannot win um, that our kids will succumb to this culture war and forever, you know, be lost in, in, in life. That's just not true. Pray for your kids. Pray with your kids. Pray over your kids. Let your kids watch you pray, listen to you pray, hear you pray. It's so important that we are praying, praying for our kiddos. Um, yeah, it's been interesting um, learning more about the Holy Spirit recently. And the boys, we've talked about the, you know, the armor of God that we are, we are not just on the defense, but on the offense too. And t- this morning, um, Peyton goes, Mommy, because we talk about our goals for the day every day. And Peyton goes, Mommy, my goal is to not believe Satan's lies today. I was like, thank you, Jesus. We are doing something right. Like he remembered, ah, uh, one thing. And I'm like, great. If, if, they, if they know that they have the power to not believe Satan's lies, because they have the Holy Spirit inside of them, win. I'll take it. I'll take it for the day. Um, So pray for your people. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but just remember your identity in Christ. Remember your identity um, as a mommy, as a wife, as a friend, as a daughter, but more so as a daughter of the one true king, a God who has fought for you, paid a price for you. um, And let that be the fuel for which you move forward. It's not your own humanity. It's not your own strength. We are going to fail um, but it is, it is God who will lift us up and help us try again the very next day. His grace is new every morning. His mercies are new. So with that, I'm going to pray really quick, and then if we have any questions, we can do that also. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for uh, just <laughs> mommies, Lord, just um, and the time and the space, God, to just come before you, Lord, and learn about instilling a legacy of faith in our kiddos. God, I just ask you in this moment that you would give us discernment, that you would give us hope and strength in this season, God, 
because this is hard, Lord. We cannot do this on our own. We are completely dependent on you, God, to just make it through the day. So, Lord, I just ask um, for your Holy Spirit's strength and for wisdom and discernment to parent our kids in the way they should go, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much um, just for the, the price you paid for us that we could know you in a deep and intimate way. And God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Do y'all have any questions? We don't have to do questions, but if you do, they don't have to be about legacy of faith, any other parenting questions. If not, thank you so much. Yes, you have a question. Yeah. That's a really good question. So last summer was the last year, uh, the first year that we went, and the boys were four. I thought it was awesome. Um, And it may sound like they were a little young, but really they benefited so much. For me, one of my takeaways from camp, she asked about camp, when when we should go to camp, how old, what is a good age to go to camp. My boys, we only have girl babysitters. So at camp, they have um, college students and they had boy counselors. And they thought it was so cool to have big boys who loved Jesus. That alone was a win for me, just to see them being poured into in that leadership. Hayden was one at the time and he went to childcare and he was fine. And then the biggest win for family camp was that Jack and I got a ton of time together. It was great for our marriage. We took a nap every day. It was so lovely. And then we got to spend one-on-one time with each individual child, which is really hard to do for us, especially with twins. So I would say we have friends who took their, their one daughter who was one at the time. They're diehards. I would say maybe wait until your first is at least three or four. But, man, it was so great. Like I said, it's, it's expensive. And I know p- there are other family camps besides Pine Cove. We have some friends who go to Canacuck family camp too. It's great. Yeah, definitely go to camp. Any other questions? Okay. Thank you guys so, so much.